The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 126 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host Zandrick Ellison. Zan, this is our last show uh, before the election. This actually might air after. We don't know what's going to happen. So we felt like it was better to just record early and then make sure that we were, had something to post after the election, right? So people could listen if they, if they wished, right? That was the If point. you want to ignore what happened or you want to celebrate, who knows? You could climb into the bath with a little champagne and, and the podcast. That sounds perfect. Yeah, what do you we think? Have a uh, lot, what do you we think have a lot of news, though, too. That's what I was going to say. You we know, do. we missed it. We just missed last week's big news, so we get to talk about it today. Yeah, and it's our favorite guy, Daryl Moore. I do want to say, uh, obviously, as you guys know, we use Bovada Sportsbook for a lot of our wagers, and you can wager on a lot of different things. And they do have free agency props, and I wanted to give you a, a free agency prop, and I wanted you to set the line for me. Okay, and I, I, will tell you, I will tell you what it is on Bovada, because it's one of my favorite free agency props I've ever seen. Uh, free agency 2020 Anthony Davis where will he play next season tell me what yes is and then tell me what and then tell me what uh, so Lakers is Lakers is a choice and then the field is a choice tell me what the Lakers are and tell me what the field is the Lakers should be minus 10,000 at least that is correct the Lakers are minus 10,000 as it has already been stated that he is resigning with the Lakers but tell me but guess what no is or over the field well, I mean, according to that logic, it should be close to plus 10,000, right? But I guess they'll give you like plus um, 2,000. I don't know. Plus 1,400. Pretty good by you, Mr. Bookmaker. I can't even believe that's on the board. Why would they take odds on that? Like, I thought you were going to ask me because I, I was looking at Bovada too. Guess the line. Chinese basketball, Beikong Fly Dragons playing the Wuhan Dangdai. What do you think the line is? I don't know. This is the bad league too. No, this is the good league. This is the is this the CBA or the NBL? NBL. Oh yeah, this is the bad league. I have no idea. I'm gonna pick the team that's not from Wuhan, and I'm gonna say minus <laughs> Wuhan four. Wuhan is maybe? favorite. Minus wow. six and a half against the Fly Dragons, which is surprising because they're dragons who can fly. They mixed it up, Fly Dragons. Oh man! All right, they're good not, start. Good start. Not, to do show. you know what a dragon who doesn't fly is called? Dragon but dragon ant. Like an ant? No, a dragon, know. like a mythological dragon. There's another term for a, dra- a kraken. I think it is a wyvern. You I don't actually are, know? I think they cannot fly. I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up and get back. I'll tell you to who that. probably does know that anecdote because he is uh, no, he knows a lot. Uh, of they Indians. can't fly. They can't fly. They only have two legs. So. Okay, keep going. Daryl Morey. We talked a lot about Daryl Morey recently uh, when he stepped down from the Houston Rockets. And I said that if I was handicapping the field, I would say, you know, I thought he was going to take a year off. I wasn't sure what place made sense for him. And well, you know, we talked about like eight different options and I don't think Philadelphia was one of them. No. And so we see, I don't, I honestly, I don't recall, but Philly, you know, Philly just from an analytical standpoint makes sense, but they went down this road with John Chica that we talked about. And like, it, it seemed as if, you know, they were just going to roll into the season with Elton Brand. 
as general manager, which is still his title, by the way. But we stopped recording last week, and I would say within like, I don't know, three hours, four hours, Woj bomb, Adrian Wojnarowski, that Daryl Morey was meeting with the Sixers, or he was in advance talks to take over the 76ers basketball operations. And in a lot of ways, it makes a ton of sense for what we know about the 76ers owners. And, but in another sense, it's very odd, I think. And it's not that I don't think Daryl Moore is great. And I don't think that he'll do a good job. Cause I do. It's just that like, given the decisions we've seen the 76ers make over the last couple of years, this to me screams that the owners are finally ready to just be like, we're not going to have our hands on things and we're just going to let Daryl do it. That's what I think at least. Right. Well, cause we're not only are we off about this, like, when we talked about this Philadelphia team, you know, like some of it, you know, they're a good team, but if we were a potential coach, if we were a potential GM, I'm not sure this would be our first choice just because the roster is so locked in salary wise. Yeah. And they're like 12th best according to SRS. So you're like locked into a good, not great team. I think Embiid's probably peaked. He's, you know, 25, 26 years old at this point. Ben Simmons, I don't think is ever going to be a great shooter or a good shooter. And meanwhile, they draw in like the big name coach and they draw in the big name GM. So clearly like I'm missing something here. Like what can you do with this roster at this point? You know, one of the things I thought was so funny right away. So there's obviously the, you know, the process truthers, if you will, like Sam Hinkie worked for Daryl Morey. It was a big coup at the time when they hired Sam Hinkie. He had total control over what happened with the organization the 76ers had not gone that route. Like Brian Colangelo didn't have that level of control. Elton Brand didn't have that level of control. Brett Brown was making some personal decisions as well, like did not have that level of control. And now they've kind of gone full circle and they've gone back into the whole like analytical style of things. Not that they weren't operating in that way to begin with, but they made some curious decisions in the face of analytics, I would say. And now Daryl Morey is there, you know, he's totally in charge. Like and Elton Brand yeah, is like still- with Sam Hinkie, like the whole process, it, I think there's a difference between sort of like modern basketball and like just the idea of tanking forever. Because if you were like the most modern GM, small ball, pace and space, you wouldn't draft Jaleel Okafor in New Orleans Noel. You know, it's like, I don't really you might see. Draft, you, might, you might draft New Orleans. We might. I, yeah, I like New Orleans still. But his, and but Okafor, still, you know, is still efficient. So even now, it's still process, efficient. There was two things I think that went into that Jaleel Okafor thing. And I don't want to go down the hinky rabbit hole because we've discussed it at length, but... I think if they knew that they could get medicals from Kristaps Porzingis, they would have taken Porzingis. I, I, I'm, I'm like pretty sure about that. But they basically said, like his brother at the time said, like he wasn't going to play in Philly. And if I remember correctly, I think, you know, Sam was just kind of going on like, well, let's take talent. Because like Jaleel Okafor is a good basketball player. Like we've talked about this before. In like 2001, he probably goes one overall. And like he's a twenty and twelve guy, and he's just right. not that good. Well, right? I, you like, know, it's funny. I was just looking at his stats, and Blake Harris, our friend, always says this too about Julie Okafor. Like, why is he not good? He was like an excellent high school player, excellent college player. If you look at his stats, he's still scoring. He's still like a twenty and ten guy per thirty six. It's just, I guess, it's just so bad. He, he can't guard. He takes up possessions that you need other places. Like it is what it is. But I, I'm, I'm saying, like, I don't know that Sam necessarily deserves like a slap on the wrist for like you drafted Jaleel Okafor, you drafted Nerlens Noel. But I do think this is a good intro to this conversation because we don't know. I think analytical minds just get ten, just tend to get put in the same box, right? So like there are probably a lot of Sixers fans, if you liked Sam Hinkie, they're like, yeah, we got Daryl Morey. Like 
he's got to be like Sam Hinkie. And if you don't like Sam Hinkie, you're like, oh, damn, we got Daryl Morey. Like, here we go again with this. I think they all like but, Sam Hinkie, though, right? From what I understand, no, the Philly no, fans. No, definitely not. Especially considering how poorly things went behind the scenes in Philly with Sam. Like, yeah, there are people who are like, this is what we need to do. But I think there are a lot of old school fans that were like, well. Maybe. Every fan I know, you know, online mostly, like they yeah, lionize him. Yeah, but and, that's because he's like a mythical. When you get right. back into dragons, he's, he's like, like a he's like a creature. wyvern, yeah. and uh, I, I, it's really annoying that every like that's the common refrain is like, "Well, Sam Hinkie never would have traded up for Fultz." Like we have no idea. But no, they just we don't claim that all the time. We don't know. And one of the biggest issues at the time, and this is where Maury is better than Sam. Like he may not be a better basketball mind. He may not be as good at using advanced statistics. Like he may not be as good at evaluating. But things got so bad with. Sam and his relationship with both players and with agents and with the media, like it became very adversarial. Right. And I think that Philly was headed down a path where like, if they kept Sam, like it would have been very difficult to do his job. And Daryl is so good with the media and and most agents like him. I think he has a good relationship with guys. He certainly uses players as assets as well as, you know, we know is probably a better idea, but I just want to say, like, this doesn't mean that Joel Embiid is getting traded or Ben Simmons is getting traded. Like, certainly what we've seen in Houston is that he probably would rather not play with those two players. But we don't know that, right? Like, he, he may have I, – I said to my friend, I would have loved to sit in on this meeting to know, like, what his pitch about the future of the franchise was because as soon as he got hired, every single person was like, well, Ben Simmons is gone or Joel Embiid is gone. Like, there's no – Right. And I, I don't play. I agree with you. I don't think that's the natural conclusion because look, Embiid can shoot threes. I mean, he's not great at it, but he can do it. He's sort of like a stretch big in that way. And I don't think Mori ball, small ball, whatever it is necessarily about pace in the same way that we think. Because yeah. like remember, like when they traded for Chris Paul, they played at a slower pace and slower. Still very yeah. good. And then also the idea of like I've said this before, like small ball is not necessarily like we need a tiny team. It would be great if your point guard was six, seven, it would be great if your shooting guard was six, eight, like that's the ideal lineup for any team really. So I think the size on the team is helpful. It's just a matter of like, is there enough shooting from the supporting cast? And and that would be, I think where they would fill in the gaps. And again, the, the other part about this is super interesting is like, I don't know that doc rivers is a great fit for what Daryl Morey wants to do, right? Like, I, I don't know the answer to that. Certainly Daryl Morey has worked with coaches before that are not super analytically inclined. And I don't want to say that Doc Rivers is not that, but like that is not but why you- allegedly one of the reasons he didn't get along with the, you know, the Clippers toward the right. end because and that, he wasn't and, listening to them about Montrezl Harrell or whatever. And, and that, that's, that's not why you hire Doc Rivers, right? Like you hire Doc Rivers because you are- I don't want to say like you're going all in on the culture piece, but like that's traditionally been what Doc is very good at. Like- He's been very good at managing personalities up until this last season in LA. Like he has been very good in terms of having his locker room, like very tight. And like they they have always seemed to be more of that, like one heartbeat type of group. And I actually, when they hired Doc Rivers, preferred him to Mike D'Antoni, just if those were the two finalists, right? I don't know that that was the case, but preferred Doc Rivers to Mike D'Antoni because I thought with this particular roster, I don't know that there's that many natural fits for a trade for Simmons or Embiid, right? And I think that I'd rather have a guy that can get those guys to kind of buy into one specific style rather than kind of how the Sixers have been, which is, you know, pretty frazzled and like all over the place and where they haven't really, you know, remember we thought they were going to be this like amazing defensive team and they, they really weren't that. And they've always been like pretty middle of the road offensively. And 
I kind of thought Doc was like the right leader to be like, no, this is what we're doing. And like, if MB doesn't want to buy in, like Doc is a good guy to kind of get through to him, right? If Ben Simmons doesn't want to buy in, like that was kind of where I thought Brett Brown's failings were that like, it seemed like he lost those two guys, right? And Doc Rivers is a guy that we have seen get tons of players to buy in for at least a short period of time. Right. And I think that the clock is ticking though, you would say, because I agree, like you hired this new coach, let's see how he improves the team. I think Maury's going to at least encourage them to shoot more threes. They were 22nd and three. They, they definitely will shoot more threes. And he has never been shy about having bad shooters take threes, as we know. Yeah. And so I think, you know, maybe there'll be some tweaks, you know, like, I don't know, but literally Eric Gordon, but like a guy like that, who's just like a three-point shooter. Maybe you could add somebody like that, JJ Redick or something. Um, but if you change these variables like i think it makes sense to see how it looks for a year at least and then if it's yeah. a complete bust again and they lose in the first round again then i can't imagine they keep the core together no and i think that they they've got this like if, if i was gonna bet on bovada about this zam like i would assume that by the end of next year we probably see one of simmons and Embiid on the move like and i think i'm not 100 sure of this i'm gonna look this up right now but i believe Embiid has three years left on his deal and yeah i think so yeah so 2021 will be a, the third year of this 100 and you know 47 million 48 million dollar extension so like if you were going to move one guy you could sell Embiid because of one his personality but two because of like the contract like you could probably sell the andrew wiggins type of uh, deal with Embiid, where it's like all right well you move him and then like you keep him, see how it works, but then the contract's immediately a trade ship again. And I, I might selfishly, I've said to keep and build around Ben Simmons for years now on this show, but I think that it would be pretty unlikely to see both these guys on the team again next year if it doesn't go well. Right. And I'm not super convinced it's going to go well, especially because the East is going to be better, right? But I'll tell you something. The, the thing that I like the Sixers did the best this offseason, they officially hired Dave Yeager, right, as an assistant? Yes. I think. And he's a good coach, obviously. He might have personality issues. Who knows? Yeah, but that's and another then, thing, right? He's had issues with analytical <laughs> right. well, front yeah. offices. Like, it's that's a, weird. Team it's of weird. rivals. And they, I think, officially hired Dan Burke from the Pacers, right? They did do that, yes. And I think that is what I was referring to as the most underrated move. Like, Dan Burke, you know, this is an assistant for the Pacers for the last, like, 20 years. And throughout that whole time, he's been sort of like their defensive coordinator and their defense has been really good for basically the last 20 years, different rosters, different coaches. And so you put him in there with an extremely big, very good defensive team eighth last year. I think they should be a top five defense next year. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. Do we think that, do we think that Dan Burke is a better defensive coordinator than Ime Udoka, who got hired specifically to run yes. the defense in Philly. I don't, I don't know that. I don't think you know that either, to be honest. No, of course I don't. <laughs> but I definitely don't know that for a fact. But I, yeah, I was just looking at the stats once. I did a little post about Dan Burke's like, and who knows how much credit he deserves. Maybe he's just sitting there with like a dumb look on his face, taking credit for everything. Well, I mean, but, but Vogel and Nate McMillan are both quite good defensive coaches as well. So like. Nate Mc, yeah, that's true. Um, but the Pacers, whatever he's doing, maybe he's just watching it, drooling, but the Pacers defense has been very good for 20 years in a row. And it, and it's, it seems like more than a coincidence at this point. Yeah. I, and I think, like I said, the, the, we'll talk about the Nets in a second because it kind of goes hand in hand with this, but I think like Doc Rivers has a very impressive staff assembled at the moment. And, yeah, and I think that, I love like, it. 
they have a group of guys like they, we've talked about this a little bit before with the Sixers because we've talked about them so much because they're so interesting. But like this is a particularly young team, right? Like this is not, you know, Simmons is young and Embiid is maybe young. I don't know. But like this isn't a group of guys where it's like, you know, three years ago, like, yeah, you should be excited as hell that they won 50 games like a year, probably too early. But now like they've been relatively successful, right? Like, but this is kind of it. I mean, this is, if you're talking about like, hey, are we going to win with these guys? If you don't do it this year, there's no way Daryl Morey's sitting on his hands. The guy has been the like league's biggest tinkerer for 10 years, and he's been able to build around different guys. So I feel like from a, a long-term vision plan, like this is the best guy you could hire, in my opinion. Not that he's the best guy specifically for the roster, but in terms of like, I'm going to look at this roster, I'm going to watch and see what happens, and I'm going to take some chances. This was the best guy for that job. Do you know how much money he got? I'm just curious. God, I'm sure so much. I honestly, I can. I'll, yeah, like I, how much is a good GM worth? I'm sure he's getting paid five million a year. That might be I would, low. I would get, yeah, I would think so too. I think that's low. And then same with Ty Lue. Like, should Ty Lue get five million, seven million a year? It's like probably Ty Lue, maybe not. But at the same time, you're like, that's the price of Wayne Ellington or something. I love, like that. I love that. Uh, I love that Elton Brand got an extension like right away after that. So if there were one of the that, other guys, I didn't know the guy's name got fired. Somebody else in the front office. That's not surprising. I I wouldn't. It wouldn't stun me if. Let me see here. Elton Brand got a contract extension. Wow, so that good. that was a good, great. Um, so good for Elton. There's a great tweet by Young Zandrick Ellison. I think it was Woj or somebody. You know, PRP was like Elton Brand staying, and you know he's they're going to be a Daryl Morey and Elton Brand a one-two punch. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, they're a one-two punch in the same way like James Harden and P.J. Tucker are one-two punch. Like, I'm pretty sure one guy's going to have the ball in his hands. I mean, E.B. is a good, like, I've talked about this before. Like, he made sense for the Sixers because they've had such a poor, they've done such a poor job of, like, handling external relationships. It made sense to have Elton Brand because he's so very good with players and agents. But, like, yeah, I mean, he's not making a ton of decisions. And I told you, I've said this a hundred times. He wasn't making decisions before. So, like, it's funny that everyone just like wanted to use Elton Brand as like a scapegoat. Like, how could he sign Al Horford? It's like, dude, he did not do that. Like, he did. Yeah. And speaking there's of which, like this weird trend of like almost the GM as a shield. Um, yeah. And it, it's like, and yeah. I've heard you know James Jones is the GM technically in Phoenix. And I've heard he doesn't really make the decisions, so it's just like he's sort of the face man for who's making the decisions in Phoenix if it's not James. I think Jones. there's an analytical guy. I forgot his name. Man, there are some tough decisions being made in Phoenix. But I, I don't know. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to like belabor this point. But I think there's one thing I can guarantee, and that that is that the 76ers will take more threes than twos this year. That's all I know. I don't know how anything yeah, I else. I think will they're go. gonna. I think it's gonna work. I think just even squeezing at the margins, five percent improvement. I think this is gonna be a top four seed next year. Does this have big fallout potential? Like, do, do how big if you were to handicap it? Like, I don't even know if Bobata could give us a line on like, will Doc Rivers make it more than one season? Like, what do we think from a personality fit? These guys are professionals, right? Daryl's been working in the NBA for 20 plus years. Doc Rivers has been a head coach 20 years. Like Dave Yeager's coached everywhere. Like these are professionals. Do you expect to hear in the middle of the season in one of the toughest media markets in the country that there are problems between the front office and the coaching staff? Yeah, well, maybe like winning cures all losing, you know, causes problems. And, you know, that's why I love, if I was a coach, I would love to have like a pure assistant, like a Dan Burke or, you know, in the NFL, like, whoever, Chan Gailey or Wade Phillips, guys who just want to be assistants. That's all they do, yeah. Because Dave Yeager, I don't think, is that guy. No, certainly not. Certainly not. 
And Ty Lu, last year, Doc hires Ty Lu. You know, what a good hire. The guy's eyeing his job. We don't know, though. I will give Ty Lu a little bit more credit. Like, I'm not saying that he didn't try to get the job, but I don't think the Ty Lu situation was like a J.B. Bickerstaff situation. You know, like, I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. And he most likely, Dave Yeager wants to have success and then get hired somewhere else. Right. So it makes sense to be a great assistant for one year. Yeah. Or just like whisper, you know, little finger style and just kind of <laughs> one step away from the game, I mean, the game but that, of thrones. But that's the thing too. Like Josh Harris and co have been very apt to be influenced in those situations. Right. And that's why I think just having Daryl Morey as your president of basketball operations, like now people go through him, right? Like you're not going to have Dave Yeager calling up Josh Harris and be like, Hey, I think we should play Al Horford less. Right. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a big part so of the hierarchy. Do you think they'll forget the big trades? Do you think they'll be able to trade Al Horford or Tobias Harris? Or do you think it's pretty much locked in? I don't know, honestly. I don't know. I, I would be less. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to trade Tobias. I, I would really like to see. I don't think Tobias Harris will ever be worth $30 million a year. So let's get that off the table right now. I would like to see Tobias Harris consistently playing the four without either Embiid or Simmons. I think Embiid is the problem. If I really had to guess, like if I was going to really break down tape, I would rather see him without Embiid. But I think that like, I don't know that I buy Tobias Harris as like the sunk cost fallacy as much as I buy Al Horford. Like, I don't know that you can't get good minutes and good production from Tobias Harris and like feel okay about that contract. I think the Horford deal is just DOA in Philly. Like if Embiid's there, I think the Horford deal is a disaster. I just don't think you can ever do anything with it. Yeah, so funny. Like, Tobias Harris is a funny, he illustrates the principle so well. It's like he averaged 19 and seven last year. He shot okay. And it's just like, if he was signed to 15 million a year, everyone would love him. They would love him. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and, you know, as soon as you get overpaid, then the resentment starts And it's to even, build. it's probably even worse too, because of the Jimmy Butler thing. Like he goes to Miami and like takes, a, you know, a nominal leap, but like Miami has a bunch of success and it's basically, you know, Jimmy's a huge reason why. And like the Sixers are kind of sitting here being like, damn, like, why did we pick Tobias Harris? And I've said it before. It was never that simple, but like, it's tough for Tobias Harris, but I don't know. I, like I said, I think this gives... A big level of intrigue. I think the league is certainly better with Daryl Morey as a general manager. Yeah, I'm really happy because we were. You said it. We were speculating that he might be kind of done with basketball, and so yeah. it's great that he still has the passion for it. Yeah, and his this will be really good too because he is. I mean, he loves the spotlight, right? He loves it, and there's nowhere in Philly, there's nowhere in the country that wants a quote more than like Philly. And I think that it'll be really. I don't know which way it'll go. I think it'll be a real interesting relationship. Cause like, there's some chance that like he does something crazy, like, and the media starts to get on him for it. And he just starts like snapping at people, which I think would be great. And Sam, you know, never would do that. He's far too controlled for that. Well, so, why do you think Christoph Porzingis, he looks at the Knicks and says, I want to go there. You want to play in New York media New market, York. baby. You think he hates Philly? Do you think it has anything to do with Rocky? No, Cause Rocky so. vilified Drago and Eastern Europeans. Did you ever consider that? Yeah, but Sylvester Stallone himself wasn't from Philadelphia. He just picked it. Maybe he hated Philly secretly. I don't know. I think Porzingis, uh, there's like a, a book to be written about Christophs Porzingis, Zan, like, and, and kind of everything that's gone on with him over the last couple of years. And it may end up working out. You know, you get to play with Luca and like things probably start to go well, but like, if you told me like 60 games into the season next year that like Porzingis and his brother were like pissed off that like Luca got tweeted about more by like the Mavs Twitter account, I, I would buy that. You know, like there's some potential there 
Like, Porzingis is just always – there's, like, something a little bit off, right? Like, he should be better. He's always hurt. There's always, like, some sort of complaint. You know, it, it, it's weird, that guy. But it kind of reminds me of Embiid, not in that, in that way, but just, like – I, I would. I'm more at, uh, inclined to build around big guys, I guess, than you are. That's a fact. Um, but that's what scares me. I'm like Porzingis is what seven three. Like people are just not meant to be that big. And like same with Embiid. Like he's been healthy. Like I don't have any confidence he's going to be healthy in two years. So that would scare me about signing him to a four year contract. So yeah. um, if, if they do want to trade him, like now's the time. I mean, this is even though that you know Philly's not riding a high, and Bede still like his perceived value is probably as high as it's ever going to be. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know honestly. I, I truly don't know. Like Embiid's value itself, like let's just say, well, could you like 10. we were speculating? Like I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not unrealistic that you could call up Houston and be like, rebuild around Embiid. We'll take Harden off your hands. I think that is a very unrealistic scenario because I just don't think that Houston would do it. Like there's some chance I'll I'll tell you this right now. There is some chance that Tilma Furtada tells the front office that they are not to answer phone calls from Daryl Morey, right? Like there's a chance of that happening, but I don't know. If I was a GM like Daryl Morey, like I, this is what we do in fantasy football too. It's like you, eye the teams that are inclined, you know, prone to making bad moves. So I'd be calling up like, Hey, Charlotte, you know, you know, Oh, Houston, if Houston's going to be a complete mess, you know, is Sacramento going to be a complete mess. Can we get buddy yield? Um, you kind of have to pick on the, the weak links, you know, like you're a lion in the wild. Yeah. And I mean, that's what, that's what Hinky and Daryl Morey have been quite good at in their careers. Right. Like if you want to say that there's two things, there's one thing that they both do really, really well, like they've been able to take advantage of bad owners and bad teams. Yeah. If I was a GM, I would take it as an insult. If GMs keep calling me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And, and again, like I've said this before and maybe we'll do a deeper dive on it, but like the amount of natural trade partners for Joel Embiid is just not as high. Like if you call teams about Ben Simmons, like they're, they're talking to you about him, right. With all the, the warts in his games and like the lack of shooting, like, I think there are teams that would be willing to overpay for Ben Simmons. I don't know if there are any teams willing to overpay for Embiid or even pay like what is probably market value for a guy like him just because of all that comes with it. Like for 60 games, maybe you get the best defensive player in the NBA. Maybe you get a top five NBA player, but like you also get like a lot of content. I would say like, there's always a story is he hurt? Does he, is he sick? Does he have right. diarrhea? The, you know what I mean? And it's like, and at, at this point I don't want them to trade MB because I, m- chances are more, he's going to like rebuild the team and his image in the same yeah. way that every team he thinks should be playing. And he's right. Yeah. But that's how I think works. it would be, I think it would be more interesting if, if they like zigged while everyone else is zagging and they're like, like the, your, your team, the Baltimore Ravens are like, we're going to run a completely different kind of offense than everyone so, else and just be really good at it. And I would love if Philly's like, we're just going to be the, biggest best defensive team in the league and see if that can win the problem is we tried to say that about them last season and it didn't work that way like and it didn't yeah i don't know why yeah great defenders and you're not a top five defense it's interesting and again here so i want to i want to shift to the nets for a second because we've talked we talked a little bit about the the staff in philly and we talked about like do we think the marriage between the front office and the coaching staff will work and I, i think that if there's another team in the NBA that has the potential for such a wide range of outcomes other than Philly, I think Brooklyn is the answer. Right. And so 
Steve Nash gets the job, big splash. Then we see that like Jacques Vaughn is there. He's the highest paid assistant and he's like a second head coach, right? We hear that. Well, now we hear they hire Amari Stoudemire. That's awesome. Great guy understands what it's like to be in New York. I've heard Amari is very, very smart and, and is very good in terms of like basketball mind and like talking to players. Like I've heard very good things. And then we get the bombshell that Mike D'Antoni's joining the staff. And then they also hired Ime Udoka. So like, we now have this – Brooklyn has this very odd collection of guys led by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They hire Steve Nash with zero experience and then go and get themselves like – I mean, they have three dudes that could be a head coach next year. Mike D'Antoni's probably a Hall of Famer, right? Right. So you have a, a rookie head coach as the boss to a Hall of Fame coach. Who, who he coached played him. for. Yeah. yeah. And really led to his breakout. Yeah, he, he, he turned Steve Nash into a two-time MVP. I'm 100%. Yeah, like, Nash was a very good player in Dallas, but, like, D'Antoni's the reason that Nash is a Hall of Famer. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, all these coaching moves, that's why I wanted to, you know, flag the Jaeger and Dan Burke thing, because it's like, I wasn't super high on Doc Rivers getting hired, but with those assistants, that's great staff. And I was definitely not high on Steve Nash getting hired, but you're telling me Mike D'Antoni's going to be, like, your kind of offensive coordinator? And then Odoku, I you know, I don't know what he what he does. I guess he's he said he's, he's gonna, a defensive guy. He's gonna be their defensive coordinator. That's what he's gonna do. I can't I mean you could just walk in. I think I could coach the team at this point. I mean, that's like I and, and I will say this this is a very interesting situation because this team is certainly not as good as Golden State was when Steve Kerr got hired, but Ron Adams defensive coordinator, Mike Brown, right? Offensive coordinator, and and plus like Steve Kerr, obviously, but like they kind of built the team in that sort of image where now like Steve Nash's responsibility is really more of like managing egos, like talk to the media, like, you know, ultimately you make the decisions, but you've, you've now like, like you said, you've got this like clear delineation of like who does what. And, and the weird part for me is like, don't know where Jacques Vaughn fits in. Right. right. Like, Cause he was supposed to be like sort of the shadow coach and now and the defensive coordinator too. Right. Yeah. And just in general, I think they're a great pickup team. I mean, could this coaching staff beat any other coaching staff? I don't know. You you do know Mike D'Antoni was like such an amazing player in Europe for like a long time, right? Well, I'm not even. I mean, you're talking backcourt of Steve Nash and Jacques Vaughn, not defensive marvels, but Amari and Udoku. I mean, he he didn't play too long ago. He played what like five ten years ago. I think they're they're the one seed in the coaching tournament. <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be some other. Certainly, we're missing somebody. I mean, Nash is the best coach currently right like he could probably still be on a roster right i mean as like the third i don't know his back is supposedly really bad is he but he's probably amari was playing within like the last few years in like israel i think yeah he did play last year in israel didn't he i think yeah so is there anyone else i mean there's a few like assorted like you know like willie green types are on coaching staffs but i don't know head coach wise is there anyone who's even close to being a player luke walton it's not terribly far removed i was wrong mike brown joined the second season and sorry i was just checking to see yeah. mike brown joined the second season in golden state uh yeah i don't know i'm not I, i'm not sure off the top of my head jason kidd's not a head coach right now right yeah i'm glancing through it it's not stan van gundy has a good handle stan van, gundy can, dribble. On, stan van yeah. gundy can dribble yeah eric's bolster pretty good player too actually in college but but anyway, so I think like it's it's interesting. We we talked about this whole were you know was the decision to hire Steve Nash made by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and you know maybe it was, but it doesn't seem like 
it, it certainly doesn't seem like now, based on what they've done with their staff, that like it seems like Sean Marks has really picked and picked and choose who he wanted to be part of the staff with Steve Nash, right? Like, cause he, you know, he worked oh. with, he played for, I believe he played for uh, D'Antoni. And obviously he worked with Yudoka when he was in San Antonio and he played with Amari when he was in Phoenix. So like, I think you can see that Sean Marks has his fingerprints in this too. And that makes me feel much better about the. Do you think, you know, we just watch baseball I don't know if this is true. This is a stat I heard. Mookie Betts' salary for the Dodgers was higher than the entire Tampa Bay team. Is that true? Yes, that is correct. And that's just like, you know, big markets are on a muck. And we don't have that in basketball because there's basically a salary cap or close to it. Do you think we're seeing big markets take advantage of the fact that there's no coaching salary cap and, and you know, spending on these really high-priced assistants, like the Lakers hired Jason Kidd, and, you know, last year the Clippers hired Ty Lue, and obviously we see Brooklyn spending a ton of money on their coaching staff. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's tough to quantify, I think, but I think that that is definitely a market inefficiency to get as many coaches as possible. Now, the, the, the real thing is, like, can you get, you know, it's not like baseball where you just hire a staff and you just need them to keep your clubhouse happy. And then the general manager makes and the front office make 99% of the in-game decisions, right? Like these guys have to make choices in games. It's, it's a much more like dynamic setting. So I do think what you're saying is very true, but you have to have the right guy to start, right? Like Frank Vogel did a great job in LA. Like he, Jason Kidd was really good. Phil Haney was really good. Lionel Hollins was really good. Like, but Vogel needs to make sure that, those guys plus LeBron and AD are totally bought in. So if Steve Nash can't do that, then does it matter if they spend $25 million on their coaching staff? No, but maybe it affects the GM. Like, are we going to see the star GM? Like, let's say, I don't know if Sam Presti is still that, but like, is he going to stay in the small market if the market rate for Coaches goes GMs has doubled in the last yeah. five years? I don't know. We don't really know the salaries. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's a, a really interesting decision. I mean, you got to assume, right? Like if Ty Lue's getting 7 million a year, you got to assume that market rate for like a pretty good head coaching hire is 5 million a year plus Billy Donovan got you 5 rather, plus million, right? So let's say I, you're an owner and I said, you have $10 million for the front office coaching staff. How would you allocate that? Would you give 5 million to a GM and 5 million to a coach so or would you invest more in the GM? That's a really good question. Uh, honestly, like that's a great question because I think it speaks to like how do you build your team and who ultimately has the most say. And like I said, it's it's a little bit harder in, in basketball to do it like this. I personally think I would pay more for a general manager than I would for a head coach uh, because I would really want my general manager to be a part of the hiring process of the head coach and have it be like kind of a, a very like top down vertical. And I, I don't think that hiring a head coach and paying him seven or $8 million makes a ton of sense. If you don't have a general manager who's also bought in and wants that head coach to like work and succeed, because like, you know, you could hire fucking red Auerbach, but like if he doesn't listen to your general manager and the players that the general manager gets for your coach don't make sense, like you're not going to win any games. You could have the best coaching staff in the world. And it's not going to matter. And so I think I would probably spend more on a general manager and have him in the president of basketball operations mold than I would spending I a ton on a head coach. And we've seen examples of like recent examples of where the head coach had sort of power over the GM, like Stan Van Gundy or Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. And it doesn't really work. Even Doc Rivers well, had the job kind of taken away from him. Who, who was the last head coach that was like very ballyhooed to like get a job 
get paid a ton of money and like I don't know. in golden state right like steve kerr this was a big thing like when steve kerr got hired everyone thought it was going to be a huge deal and it was he was incredibly successful but like he didn't have like decision making power no like bob myers and those guys they, certainly they got lucky and like and and what and about steve kerr put in like draymond but like you know. What about Mike Budenholzer? Because I think he has some power. In, in no, but I don't even. I don't even. I'm not even saying like has personnel power. I'm just saying like who's the last coach that got paid five million dollars and immediately came in and the team was a title contender right away because of the coach. Hmm. Right? Because like look at it in L.A. All right, like Frank Vogel did a great job, but like yeah, he was like we, the third choice, came, and he's not. He came with Anthony Davis. Too, so yeah, like, oh. and so like the, the Lakers very clearly didn't care about. You know, work out. Well, it makes you think, like, how much does coaching even matter? Right, I mean, and it does. It does. It matters. Maybe it matters like five wins, maybe. Yeah. But. but even but the Lakers are also an example of like Rob Palinka doesn't matter, right? Like he's the general manager supposedly, but like he didn't court LeBron James, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, and that's are... it, that's another reason I would rather prefer. I like you. I would prefer the strong GM is because I think the balance of power gets out of whack. And like famously, like Billy Bean, like didn't even watch the games because he didn't want to get like too emotionally attached to these players. Um, and I think the same with coaches. It's like it's a lot harder. Like, let's say you're Philadelphia and you want to trade Al Horford, but like you really like him, like and you you hang out with him all the time. Like it becomes a harder thing to do if you're the GM, like up in the ivory tower. You can kind of be the bad cop. Yeah, and and again, I think that. I think that smart teams are realizing that your players and the way you allocate your resources is more important than like you need to have that in order before you have the stuff that's on the court in order. Right. Cause like, I'll just, I'll just use an example. And I think Neil Olshay has done a really good job in Portland, but like at this point, if Neil Olshay doesn't do anything with this trailblazers team and they've reached their ceiling, then like he's going to lose his job. Right. Like, and it doesn't matter. Like, Terry Stotts could have coach a perfect season and that team's not good enough to win a title. You know what I mean? And so I think that just proves to me that like the general manager is, it's just more important in this day and age. They, they just are like, cause the ability to find an inefficiency and be able to get a star, like with Philly, for example, if you don't believe in Embiid and Ben Simmons, you're screwed. Basically you, you basically have to like, make a blockbuster deal and hope it works out. It's the same thing that happened in Houston, honestly, like with Chris Paul and then with Russell Westbrook is like, you have so few moves you can make when you're capped out if your GM hasn't done a great job. And even if they have done a good job. And so right. I think that that's and why. Like, as like casual fans, we focus on what we can see. So we're watching a coach being like, oh my God, he shouldn't have taken time out here or whatever, or he should have, you know, subbed in this guy here. But the, that's such a minor reason teams win and lose. I mean, you're yeah. affecting maybe like, one two percent of the you know wins and losses on game day it's really about like can you get anthony davis in here and then then it doesn't really matter if you take yeah. the time out at the right do, spot do you have lebron like do you, do you have luka Doncic? right like is, is is those are those guys on your team can you get Kawhi leonard right that's why like lawrence frank and like those guys deserve a ton of credit because like you get Kawhi and you pull off a trade for paul george and like boom you're a title contender right away and Certainly you could argue that they lost in the playoffs because of Doc Rivers. I think that's a very credible argument to make, but it also like it doesn't really work the other way around, right? Like you probably don't get to that point without your ownership and your coaching staff. And I think that's where you want to be at the level where you can compete with a title. And then I think then you want to decide like, okay, do we have the right guy for a coach? And that's why I would argue that that's what happened in Golden State, right? They saw the opportunity. They were like, we can win the title. Mark Jackson's not the guy. 
get rid of Mark Jackson, they win the title, right? And I think that that's kind of how you need to view coaching in, in almost every sport. To me, Zan, that's the smart well, way to do it. I read somewhere that Maury said that coaches' messages can run stale after like four years. Yeah, and so it's good to like get a new voice in the room. And so I think GMs is sort of the opposite, where it's like you want stability as much as possible. And, and if it's a smart guy, he should be able to be there for 10, 20 years, right? And, like, and you don't you, you don't see a situation where it's like you know you can get a lot of coaches in and everyone runs a lot around the same type of stuff, right? The league right. is so ball screen oriented now, and like everyone kind of guards in similar ways. Like people adjust differently, and they run different plays at different frequency, and like you know. I think like the Rockets were relatively innovative, but now everybody kind of plays similarly, but how people build their teams is still not a solved thing. Right. Can I give you one example? Cause I think this is maybe the purest example of a guy seen as a top five GM, top five coach. Your Boston's ownership. Do you, and you can only keep one. Do you keep Danny Ainge or do you keep Brad? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good example. I don't know, man. I think they both work really well together. Like I think it's a situation where, I don't think either one of them is as good as they are without the other one. I guess I'd pick, I guess I'd pick Danny Ainge. I don't know, but a lot of, a lot of like Danny Ainge's success has been because he's, a, he's been the GM there for so long. Right. Like, well, and it's also been, hard because that team's pretty much locked in at this point. So you don't really have a ton to do as a GM at the, you know, cause you have, well, that's why people have always been. Out. So that's why people have always been like, so disappointed in Danny Ainge. Cause it's like, Oh, we have all these assets, but it's like, yeah, but they don't really have any real moves to make. Right. And you don't want to like, for a while, I was like, can they get Anthony Davis? Can they get this guy? Can they get this guy? And it's like, yeah, they can. But if they do that, then like oh, maybe. Here's he- another example, I guess, of top five guys. Masai or Nick Nurse? I'd rather have Masai, I think. And I think it's close. Like, I think Nick Nurse is really good. But I, I'd rather have Masai. Because, like, he. You're the he, former coach demeaning and belittling the professional coaching. Well, I just think that, like. I just think that like Nick Nurse doesn't win the title if he won, if he doesn't get a chance. So it's on Masai to pick him, right? Like Masai did that. And then Nick Nurse certainly doesn't win the title if they don't get Kawhi Leonard. He maybe doesn't win the title if they don't get Mark Gasol. Like, I just think there's, again, I, I think that's why it's so important for there to be this whole like top down approach. Right. right. Like, and like, I love Nick Nurse as much as anybody. I'm like, I would almost pick Nick Nurse there, but that's like the young and hungry Nick Nurse. Like if you end up giving Nick Nurse a lot of power, what's he going to be like? Yeah, who knows? Teams? Yeah, you, you don't know, and I would assume that he'd be fine. But, I, I mean, we talked about this last week with Stan Van Gundy. Like, you just don't have time to do both jobs, and that's why you need to right. be very confident in, you know, for the longest time. Like, it's because of the way R.C. Buford is and because he has no ego and, like, because the Spurs have won a ton. Like, I don't think R.C. Buford cares one bit that everyone gives Greg Popovich most of the credit. But, like, the Spurs aren't Spurs without R.C. Buford, right? Like, it's not, it's not even a debate. Um, one last one. Would you rather have JB Bickerstaff or Kobe Altman? Kobe Altman, baby. Yale grad. We're going with the nerds. Was he a Yale grad? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he graduated from Yale. He coached at Yale. Back when I was working in I was working in college hoops, like he he was at Yale for like a season. And then I remember he got a job with the Cavs. I saw him out on the road recruiting. He got a job at the Cavs. And then like literally two and a half years later, he was like their general manager. And I was like, wow, this is quite a meteoric rise. He was a great talker though, like really nice guy. And probably a good GM. I'm not sure. Uh, Sorry, right, is la- there anything else? Did we have one, anything else? Last one. one, one. The Rockets specifically made a coaching hire as well. Uh, they hired Steven Silas, which I think is an interesting hire, right? Uh, he is Paul Silas. Well, you know, son. they're using the philosophy. Like I presented you, what if he give you 10 million? How much would he spend on GM? How much would he spend on coach? And their answer is, can I spend 4 million on both? 
Well, I mean, it, I mean, there's some. I don't know. There's like some chance that yeah, Tillman is uh, an interesting. Dude. And actually, I, I say that like jokingly because they, you know, I don't. I, Steven Silas has been on the verge for a while, for a long time, a, a long, long time. And I, we can make the comments about his father being a long time like NBA head coach and assistant. But like, you are looking at a guy like Steven Silas who has been. I mean, I think he's been an NBA assistant for 20 years. I don't know. He got to start with the Hornets, not surprisingly, because his father was coaching there. But, like, he had been in Charlotte. Then he was an assistant in Cleveland. He was a scout with the Wizards. He was an assistant with the Warriors. He was an assistant again with the Hornets. And then he was with Dallas the last two years. And, like, this is a guy that's been around for a long time. And I think if you're going to give a shot to somebody, you know, there are there are many, yeah. many candidates, I think, that I would pass, bef- like, that I would not give a job to. And I think Steven Silas is a good hire. I don't know that he'll Absolutely. be successful. I think it's a really tough situation, well, but I think his resume speaks con- for itself. This is a controversial comment. I think nepotism gets a bad name um, because they're like, oh, he's a coach's son. But I'm like, and I've used this example before, like, if we're in the medieval times, is anyone surprised that like the blacksmith's dad was a blacksmith? Like you, you're kind of born into it, and, and your, you're probably better for it. You know, I you're I mean, like, use we, your, your Kyle Shanahan argument. Well, like, that's what I was going. I was leading there. You've heard yeah. this rant before, but like Kyle Shanahan, great coach. His dad was a coach. Sean McVay, his dad was a GM. It's it's not a coincidence. John Quincy Adams, brilliant guy. His dad gave you know. Well, let me ask you a question. It, it it doesn't mean that. It doesn't. What you're saying doesn't necessarily have to be untrue, but it also doesn't necessarily have to be right. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like Kyle Shanahan's had some very large failings in his career, and who knows if he gets another chance if his dad isn't Mike Shanahan. And no, again, I'm not I, yeah, saying, you're right. I'm I'm saying it's not necessarily like the no, guy's no, done. Yeah, I I think we're we're saying the same thing. Like yeah. Steven Silas is very qualified for this job, and it makes no difference at this point in his career that his father was an NBA head coach. Like this is a guy that has been working and grinding at the lower rungs of the NBA for 20 years. Like and and so, you know, I, I don't remember we talked about like if they were going to potentially keep John Lucas. I think on they staff. are. I think they are. I am not 100% sure, and I, I'm trying to look it up right now. But and you know, they they uh, So clearly they did not hire Jeff Van Gundy. How much of the Jeff Van Gundy do you think was like media-driven, their interest in him? Do you think he was like almost going to get hired, or was this not even – it was I don't a, know. not a closer race than we Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think that like if I had to bet – it's like going about it and let's see if they have odds on this. I, I don't think Jeff Van Gundy will coach another game in the NBA as like, he might coach like the celebrity all-star game. Right. But like, it just seems we've heard Jeff Van Gundy rumored for like a lot of jobs. And at a certain point, if he doesn't get this one, which is like in his hometown, and this is probably why he was rumored for this one so heavily. Cause like, he definitely didn't need to get paid $5 million a year. Like it's not the most appealing job right now, given what we know about the front office situation and the ownership situation. He wants to live in Houston. If he's not getting this job, what job is he getting? Like who's hiring Jeff Van Gundy? Yeah. And it's like, you know, people compare him to Gruden, but like Gruden got hired, he got a huge contract because the Oakland owner like loves him and they had a history with him and, yes, and like correct. idolized him from back in the day. So it'd have to be a similar thing for Jeff Van Gundy. He has a great relationship with the team owner, maybe, or the GM. I, but Steven Silas, I think it's a it's a smart, practical hire. You know, he's he'd been on Dallas. They run like a similar style of play to Houston. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, if you look at it, like he he worked for Steve Clifford for a lot of years, so he learned defense from a guy who's considered to be a very big time defensive mind. And then you're talking about 
being in Dallas with Rick Carlisle, who's not only hard to play for, but hard to work for. So like, I think there, this is a guy coming in with a pretty diverse skill set too. Like, I'm not saying that I think the hire is going to work. But you know what's know. interesting about him um, from just like, you know, I love watching coaching interviews and reading too much into it. He is like, some of these young coaches are like very charismatic. Mm. He's not that. I mean, he's, a based quiet, on he's like a quiet guy, right? Yeah. He's like very low key, low energy in media interviews. Who knows if that's true behind the scenes, but in my head, they're thinking, you know, we don't really want to, you know, a Tom Thibodeau or somebody like that rocking the boat, you know, this is James Harden's team. And I think that's probably good for now to let kind of, you know, be a player's coach in that way, or be a low key guy, ego free guy. I just don't know how well it's going to work in two or three years when you have to have a difficult conversation with Russell Westbrook and he's making $40 million a year and maybe he should be coming off the bench at this point, you know? Like, yeah. You know, and I think that's, you hope to avoid situations like that, but you never know if you're going to, obviously it's just never a situation that you think about. I think what's important for a guy like Steven Silas is like who joins the staff with him. Right. John Lucas, I would, if he doesn't get a head coaching job, I just don't know where else he's going to go. Right. Like he, he's a legend in Houston. He's huge, like such a big deal in Texas. Like, yeah, the players you, what love you it. said about Van Gundy applies to him for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and even more so. And, uh, but I've heard like Jeff Hornacek's name get mentioned, Nate McMillan's name get mentioned. I believe Kelly Iko of the athletics said Rafer Alston is going to potentially be in the mix for a job. And so like, I, I think it's, it's a situation where I think one, I think Steven Silas will do a really good job, but two, I think he kind of respects the way that coaching staffs work because he's worked for so many different guys, right? Like he worked for Don Nelson in Golden State. Like, and I think he understands that to build a staff, as we've spent a lot of time talking about on this specific episode, like I think he knows that he can't do it all. Like I think one of the biggest failings of young coaches is they come in with like a big ego and like they're just ready to go. And I think a guy like Steven Silas who has seen this from, you know, the time he was, I mean, his dad played in the NBA, but like from the time he was five years old, I think he's seen how coaches operate. And I think if you want to talk about a guy who will likely be able to build a staff that he can really work with and that will do well with a lot of different players, I think this is a guy that can do that. Right. Cause I don't think his ego is going to get in the way. And I think a lot of it goes back to what you said about, you know, he's more of a low key guy. I think he's a grinder. I think he wants to really work. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the first like public clash, assuming James Harden is on the Rockets next right. year, which I think has got to be like 99%, like right. maybe not minus 10,000 on Bovada, but it's got to be pretty, Pretty up there. Well, speaking of Bovada, I was going to pick this. It's not out yet. I will make this prediction right now. I'm going over on whatever the Houston over-under is next year for this reason. Like, I think they're like post-hype. Let's say say they were playing 82 games. What would be the highest number you would go over? They're not playing 82 games, so it's fine to do this. But like, if there was normal season, what would be the highest number you'd go over? I'm just thinking... To my logic here is everyone's going to be writing them off. They're over. Maury's gone. Dan Tony's gone. But the team's basically the same. And I think their muscle memory is still the kind of team that should is going to win fifty games. That's probably where I would set the line at, at eighty-two. You'd go over fifty and a half, or you'd go over forty-nine and a half. Well, just to make it even, I'd say forty-nine and a half. I mean, the West is so tough too. That kind of throw yeah. you know scares me a little bit. But I'm, my point is like. They're still a good team if they keep it together. Definitely. And, and you know, they're, they're getting older and who knows how much P.J. Tucker has in the tank. But a, a full season of Russell Westbrook fully healthy, knowing what his role is, is, is pretty important because they struggled out of the gate last year. And then when Russ kind of found his groove and him and Harden really started working well together, like the team was rolling. And then unfortunately, like they got into the bubble. And who knows if he had stayed healthy, they still might have gotten blown out by the Lakers. Definitely a possibility. 
but I think the injury definitely hurt them. I think the time off hurt them a little bit. And it, it'll be interesting to see with this particular group because you're exactly right. Like, this blueprint is here. Like, there's a possibility Steven Silas just goes right in. John Lucas is still there. They try to get a little bit better defensively. But, like, you could play this style for 72 games and, and feel comfortable if everyone right. stays healthy and even without year, ever having to do anything different. This year was not their best year. They, they were on a 50-win pace. And it kind of yeah. reminds me of – they didn't win the title, but – Remember Jimmy Johnson left Dallas Cowboys. They won next year with Barry Switzer. Barry Switzer, correct. And yes. when Jimmy Johnson, I think, maybe it wasn't Jimmy Johnson. Maybe it was Butch Davis, left the University of Miami. For they won the next year with Larry Coker, yeah. Right. And these are not great coaches. And I'm not saying Steven Silas is a bad coach, but I'm just saying, like, neither one of these sort of hangover. And the, I Rockets think aren't near, the, the Rockets aren't nearly as good as uh, the mid-90s Miami. Cowboys or the, the 2000 <laughs> Miami Hurricanes, but go on. Didn't, didn't Tennessee win the title after Peyton Manning left, too? Yeah, the year after. The year T, after. T. Martin T. quarterback. Um, that was still like that's, – Yeah, that's different. Yeah. Like. <laughs> that's a little different. But – and I think Steven Silas will be good. I think he's probably underrated. The post-hype pick, I think Houston's going to be underrated. Wasn't the thing with – this is way off topic, but wasn't the thing with Larry Coker that like when they lost to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, that was the first time he had ever had a conversation about losing a game with his roster? And so who's the they, coach after um, – Tom Osborne in Nebraska. He had a good run for a while. I forgot after Tom was. Osborne, Bill Callahan. No, I don't. no, no. After um, Nebraska, I'm going to look it up, but because they had like they, you know, they were like a juggernaut for so long, and then the next coach came along and had like that same sort of pretty good two or three year run, and then the wheels Frank fell off. Solich. Frank, Frank Solich. Frank Solich. Same who's, with uh, who's Oregon. Now the coach at, uh, who's now the coach at Ohio University, I believe. Yeah. Well, the first, he didn't. He had a. Four good years, nine and four, 12 and one. They won a national years. title with him. There you go. And but Bill Callahan was right after him. So I was actually kind of close. Yeah. And Oregon, after Chip Kelly had a couple good years, and then the wheels fall. Yeah. With uh, Chip Kelly's like, well, Mike, Bel- yeah, Mike Bellotti. Mark, right? it was, I think it was Mark, Mark Helfrich. Mark Helfrick was right after. Yeah. Yeah. Bellotti was the head coach, then became the AD, and they gave the job to Chip Kelly. But it's just like, but again, we're talking a, a little bit different because like Houston. While I do think they're a, a fringe title contender, like I don't know that a lot of people think of them as a legitimate title contender. So it's not like Steven Silas is taking over a team that won. This is this is not the 2014 Golden State Warriors. And you right? know what else I like about Houston is they could have overreacted. And I think Frank like, Solich just retired, by the way. Not not just. I think like in Nebraska, like I don't think he got fired. I think he was just like um, I don't want to play anyway. Go on. Um, but Houston could have overreacted and be like, small ball doesn't work. We're gonna have to you know get a bunch of big guys. And it sounds like they just promoted, like, you know, Maury's apprentice. And then they're going to get Steven Silas, who understands this sort of modern basketball. Dallas played very similarly to the way they were playing. And so it seems like they're going to kind of keep the template, which I think is smart. Yeah, which is smart. And Frank Solich did get fired, so I don't know anything. But I, would, I, I think, I, listen, I think you're right. I think this is an underrated hire, in my opinion. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't win you the press conference, right? It's, it's not a huge splash. It, it checks a lot of boxes in terms of, like, what – Tillman Furtado wanted doesn't you know spend a lot of money like, but I agree with you. If you look at the Rockets, like there's no reason to think that they shouldn't be a top four seed in the West, maybe a top five seed. I don't know because the West again is very. We would expect Dallas to take a big jump. Probably New Orleans should take a very large jump. There's some other teams out there like who knows Phoenix could take a big jump. Like I, I think, but it's reasonable to think that Houston's going to be a competitive playoff team in a very competitive Western Conference. Right, and if you're betting on Bovada or wherever else. 
I tend to bet against like the sort of late season narrative. Like everyone's probably thinking, you know, Houston's not good anymore or, you know, Miami's going to be a number one seed next year. Like it's probably not true. Like you kind of have to like. I would take the under on Miami's wins next year. Right. Exactly. Um, We'll see. All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Our final pre-election show. Who knows what the world looks like next time we record? Hopefully, it's. Uh, oh, well, we're going to have a big NBA draft show. We are going to have a big that. NBA draft show. We'll we'll tease more of that later. But we are going to have a very different NBA draft show uh, that you have been trumpeting for years and finally got me on board with. So uh, I'll you're try not on be, board, but you're. I'll try you're not to be pressed onto the pirate ship. Uh, he is. Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. Zander Ellison at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. And uh, you got anything else? Bachelor? What do you got? Nothing? Yeah, nothing. Oh, good. great season. <laughs> great season. You want like a palate cleanser if the election stuff's been too stressful. Watch Claire Corrali on The Bachelor. She, she's about as competent of a bachelorette as, as the, you know, Trump was. Oh, man. All right, Sam. Before we get into it, uh, we'll talk about The Bachelor next week. But as always, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 